you are listening to Life in Lockdown with me, Jasmine Allen. Episode 3, Tom. It's Sunday the 26th of April at 4pm and after some work in the garden I'm going to speak to Tom this afternoon. So hi Tom. Hi Jasmine. Are you alright? Yes, I'm good, thank you. When I last saw you, um, it was actually a, a great weekend just before the lockdown, or about a week before the lockdown. Um, we all went away together for your wife's birthday, and it was a fantastic weekend. A lot has happened since then. It certainly has. It That weekend felt like a sort of little lost moment before, um, uh, before the gate slammed shut. <laughs> yeah. So you've been in Cambridge since, where you live. Who's at home? Yeah, we are. It's just the uh, just the three of us at home. Um, so um, me, my wife, and our son. And you have quite an important job at Cambridgeshire County Council. What's your role there? Uh, so I lead the um, business intelligence team for Cambridgeshire Council and Peterborough City Council, um, and we. Uh, provide management and um, population information to the services in uh, that the county council and the city council run um, and also we work for um, lots of the partners lots of public sector partners in the um, in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough um, particularly um, health services as well as um, other district councils. So actually you have been super busy and probably things kicked off for you at work um before we went away for that amazing weekend so do you want to tell us a bit about um what happened and how the council um responsible for so many services you know were were reacting just before we went away the council was starting to gear up to respond in a um to, to the emergency that was that was emerging um and it was starting to become clear um, I think other, lots of other European countries had kind of already gone into lockdown at that point, and there was quite a lot of conversation about it in um, in the UK media, and so it was starting to become clear that that was that was a definite possibility. All of the conversations we were having started to be about would we still be able to do this this thing, this project, in the face of of lockdown and and with probably changes to our staff working patterns and things like that and then just before we left I think the last the last thing I did before loading stuff into the car and driving driving off was to redraft our emergency business continuity plan to make sure that we could keep operating Um, when I got back um, I then had a couple of days off after the weekend away Um, we'd been planning to go away for a trip to uh, to America, which was unfortunately cancelled, so I'd actually had the whole week booked off anyway. So I had a couple of days off, and then when I got back to work on Wednesday, um, all hell had broken loose. Really, um, everybody had engaged the um, emergency planning um, work. Um, local partners um, were all now in full emergency mode. And no day has been back to business as usual since at the council, to be honest. I can imagine. And, you know, you're used to, at the council, I'm sure, responding to kind of crises and and things that are changing and happening all the time. But have you ever known anything quite like this? Uh, No, never. I mean, this is a... um, 
well, you know, there are lots of things that we're still that we're still finding out about it. Um, but this is a um, really probably a once in a hundred year type event. So um, I, I don't think there's anybody working at the council who's known something happening like this. Um, there are people in public health who will have taken part in um, some sort of scenario planning exercises and things like that, I'm sure. Um, and I know public health was stood up to a um, more um, alert footing um, when there were SARS um, outbreaks in the um, in, yeah. in Asia a few years ago. Um, but we've never done anything like this. Um, I've done training for some emergency planning situations but they're often much shorter in time scale so you know if you have it if you had a flood mm. or a fire then it happens in quite a defined happens in a very defined area it's it's reasonably um uh it's kind of defined in its time scale and um and so there's a there's sort of fixed group of people that you you then need to need to support and that 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 number could be quite large you know maybe you've got to go in and evacuate lots of people from from their houses who are vulnerable but this kind of it is actually reasonably fixed you know the area you know now the event yeah. has happened you know you know what the ri what the risks to their lives are um i what what's different about this is that um it's a uh, the time scale is much longer um we know much less about the risks to people we know much less about how those risks are um are sort of permeating through the population so we're kind of operating um, using our best guesses all the time, I suppose. Um, but sometimes we need to work really, really quickly. Yeah, and much like the national government, I'm sure <laughs> they're also working to that that changing situation. Oh yeah, 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 very much so. What's been the most challenging thing to kind of sort out? What what emergency planning have you had to kind of enact that you never thought you would have to? Um, so, um, I, I did some work on the model for temporary, for things like temporary mortuary space, which is part of the, part of our standing emergency plans. Um, I guess I, I, I you know, I'd always hoped that I would never need to be involved in doing that. In terms of working with health, I, I think it's probably actually gone the other way. We've been trying for the last... 12 to 18 months to improve relationships um, and build up good, better working patterns between the um, intelligence analysts working in the local authorities in the um, CCG, which stands for um, Clinical Commissioning Group. So they're the body who um, commission and spend uh, money for health services in the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough area. Um, and um, also amongst some of our biggest providers. So there's a health provider called Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Foundation Trust. They uh, provide mental health services in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, and, um, but they also do some community services, community therapy services, um, secondary, uh, so let me get this right, community healthcare type services as well. And then we've been working with analysts in the um, major acute providers. So that's Adam Brooks. Um, Peterborough City Hospital, Hinchingbrook Hospital in our area too. So we've been actually for the last 12 to 18 months trying to get together an analysts group to think about what are the major challenges that are facing all of us um, and try to work together 
um, better on them. Um, and that was a um, that was a really turned out to have been a really positive mm-hmm. thing. Um, we we kind of restarted. We made use of those relationships, and in sort of pretty much straight away, I was on the phone to um, colleagues in the CCG um, and at CPFT, and also in public health intelligence within the within the local authority. And we started putting together um, what is slightly grandly called the intelligence cell. But the work that we do is we try to um, bring together information about um, what's going on in health and social care and other data sets that local authorities and police have available to us um, into one place so that we can then report um, report that information to what's called the uh, Strategic Coordinating Group or Gold Command. Wow, we have some great terms. (laughs) Emergency planners love these terms. I I think, um, you know, (laughs) working with health services is is really interesting because um, particularly once you start working with acute providers, they, they really are a uniformed service and they have a they have quite a different kind of command and control structure to local authorities and it shares a lot of similarities with those in police and fire services um, because of the nature of the work that they're doing um, you know their blue light emergency this has to be done now type type services and all the acronyms come out um, yeah so we so we, we bring those we bring the information together and try to report information up, up there um, and uh, we're also one of the things we've been doing is trying to collaborate on building local models about um, uh, what what could happen in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough and trying to make sure that um, if we're modelling impact on pharmacy or impact on GPs or impact on um, community health and social care or impact on hospitals, that we're doing so on, a, on as consistent a basis as we can. Um, so does... Does that involve um, looking at kind of data that's region specific about the number of known cases um, and and kind of analysing that and working out what it means for the council services? Yeah, that's right. So there are there is there's regional data sets, um, but that covers the whole of the east of England. Um, so we we look within our own services to find data uh-huh. um, about about the number of cases. So you know, Adamrooks can tell us how many cases have been confirmed in Adambrooks. Um, we know um, from a social services, um, sorry, social care perspective, how many people have had different needs and need different kind of support because of um, what's been going on with, the, with their health in terms of COVID. So yeah, there are quite a lot of local administrative data sources that we, that we go to um, in order to try to build up a, the best picture of what's happening locally. And I imagine that technology has played a really important role in all of yeah, like data gathering, the analysis, the communication. I mean, can you imagine this happening before all of those tools? You know, remote conferencing. Um, uh, we don't do that much video conferencing because of the bandwidth restrictions that we have within the uh, within our network. So we're doing a lot of stuff on audio only, but very occasionally we we, we get we do get on video. But yeah, I, I think. Um, we would have been we'd be working in a very different way if we didn't have um those tools those tools in particular available to us um in terms of the production of surveillance and monitoring information 
it, it can be quite a manual task. Uh, you will have heard nationally there's a lot of discussion about death statistics yeah. and how many people have died. And, you know, there's a there's a lag in there because it takes some time for the family to go and register the death. And then it takes some time for that death registration to be in, in the computer system, extracted by the Office for National Statistics and then and then manipulated. So there's so the the um, sorry, I say manipulated, I mean, it's kind of analyzed, transformed rather than rather than changed. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's 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 people in the chain, and it starts from people. So it so often the collection of the data is actually turn it on when you first start needing to count these things that we didn't need to count before. It can be quite a manual thing to to, to start with because somebody's there with a clipboard going, that's one person come through A and E with COVID symptoms. Tick, there's another person. Tick, you know, it's it can be it can be pretty manual at the beginning like that. So you've been pretty busy, I think, probably right up to this point and still, I imagine it hasn't calmed down. Um, how are you kind of making time for yourself and, and keeping sane? Um, I've started trying to avoid news, mm-hmm. um, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's quite a difficult thing to do all day. Um, I, um, I've tried to keep uh, weekends or as free of doing work as possible because i'm doing long days um during the week that hasn't always been that hasn't been always been possible mm-hmm. um in some respects i think we've moved through a emergency standing up a response phase um so we've been doing quite a lot of work just to get things in place there are a lot there's a lot of changes that need to be made to the system to discharge people from hospital for example and so that's created masses and masses of work as as we've changed the way that the responsibilities work between health and social care services to make sure that um, people can get out of hospital quickly yeah. um, but those things are in now and they're starting to settle down a bit and um, so for us in support services our role changes slightly um, we need to start looking forward and, and increase the, our kind of time scale, um, increase the time scale and the scope of what we're thinking about. It's not about can I set something in place for tomorrow? It starts to become about what's happening next week, what's happening in two weeks. Can we keep this thing that we've just set up going um, for that period or do we need to do we need to improve it? And we also need to start thinking about what's happening in business as usual. Before COVID, there were people who needed services and those people are still there and they still need those services. We have to make sure that those people are still getting them. Um, And that isn't always easy in this environment because people's behaviour changes according to what they see around them. And so, for example, we've we've seen um, uh, we're we're seeing fewer people coming to A and E. Um, compared to compared to previously so there's a there's a sense that that for us some of the um particularly in support services maybe we're not thinking just about the immediate response anymore we're now starting to think about um what's going on with our business as usual services with all the people that we we would usually be caring for and we're still needing to do that and um with starting to think about what does a recovery look like those those things are not quite as urgent um as we must have this immediately um so there tends to be a little bit more time to uh to think i hope <laughs> you're, you're desperately hoping for some time to think well um it's yeah. it's great that you've taken some time out this afternoon to to speak to me so um 
you've been working at home and you're not used to working from home especially not like five days a week so how, how is that going I find myself needing to be in lots of meetings um, because of the breadth of services that we that we mm. provide um, in local authorities and all of the and the and local public services more generally I suppose there are lots of people that that um, uh, I need to need to talk to um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of lots of that has carried on, you know. So now I'm working from home five days, and I'm I'm in a lot of meetings, um, nine o'clock till five o'clock, really every day. Um, so I'm that's that is that is quite challenging. I sort of sit down at my desk and talk into my computer all day. Are you wearing your suit though? No, I do get dressed. <laughs> I do get properly it's dressed, you get um, <laughs> um, because otherwise it does just feel a bit weird, even though we don't do much video conferencing. So, have you been doing any of the homeschooling? Um, yeah, my son, my son's been um, trying to do homeschooling. Um, my wife's doing a fantastic job of um, of of supporting him as he tries to get his head around what's going on and um, tries to get get his head around what school are asking him to do um so that's been really good that you know i couldn't do what i'm doing at the moment without her in the sense that i do sit down at eight o'clock in the morning and then i'm carrying on for 11 hours and then i stand up and and actually you know i've, I've kind of gone to work for that period i've not necessarily seen them so um yeah so my wife's doing doing a lot of the work um uh, on the schooling and keeping keeping him going um with with education and she's doing an absolutely amazing job of keeping the household going as well i feel really really lucky and very very well supported that's fab good old vicky couldn't do it without her so when you do manage to take whether it's five minutes or half an hour off what do you find yourself doing to relax um probably the same stuff that lots of other people are, are doing really there's sort of zoom pub quiz and um zoom pub trips and zoom pub hangovers um <laughs> I, I think um we're lucky um we have uh, space in our house uh f for so that it doesn't feel too constrictive um and you know i can if i want to i can close the door on the study and then and leave it all in there and there's still space in the rest of our house for people to people to be and we're not on top of each other all the time and i, I know um that that's that's not true for lots and lots of people and that must be really 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 difficult um i'm really loving the weather we've got a decent garden and um it's uh, required mowing and sitting in and we've had um a barbecue for my wife's birthday recently whilst the sun is out it's really really nice to be going out there and still feeling like there's some outside space and some air and you're not just in a small box all the time but i recognize that i'm unbelievably sort of lucky and i'm really grateful for that and so have you left the house at all or have you been you know really locked down how are you getting food deliveries yeah so we're getting we're getting food deliveries um and trying to food and drink from local shops wherever we can so there's there's a some independent off licenses in cambridge that will deliver to us which is which is brilliant um and we've also tried to get some occasional treats like uh, uh cheese and um chocolate 
delivered um, or from from local shops. Um, so yeah, we're trying to sort of supplement things that normally I'd probably go out and and get, but I'm not doing that. So no, I haven't. We haven't left the house um, uh, or our garden um, for a long time. That I went out early this week to post a letter, but I mean that really has been it. Um, I know some people have to leave more often to walk the dog or um, because they just can't do without their daily run. Um, but I was never much of a runner and I'm still not. <laughs> so. Me neither. Well, you sound pretty cheery. Um, so you clearly, you know, lockdown life and your workload hasn't affected you too negatively over the last few weeks, which I'm pleased to hear. Uh, yeah, I've tried to, tried to keep reasonably positive about it. It sounds funny, but you know, I quite. When you get a crisis like this, it's act, it's quite energising. Um, mm -hmm. And um, from a work professional perspective, I think, um, not not so much from a personal perspective, but it, you know, um, suddenly things that previously were really difficult and you know, really we might be really struggling to get done. Actually, it becomes a bit easier because everybody can clear really clearly see the priority. Yeah, I think it gives you focus. Like it, it gave me focus at work as well. I was just able to see what was essential, what was needed, what mm. was not. Whereas sometimes you can muddle through the weeks, kind of juggling things that all are all really non-essential, but things that you think you need to do. Mm. Um, so I know what you mean about that. Yeah, and and so so that's probably has kept me going a little bit. You know, there there are there are things where I, c I can look back at the end of the week and go, yeah, you know, that report's now out. We now know how many people are getting tested next week in local authorities, and we've got a way of monitoring that. And you know that will help us um, understand which key workers we're short of, or who, where we need to get volunteers, or who we need to um, who we need to go and get tested. So if it, there, there's somehow there's there's some quite sort of tangible outputs as well. It doesn't last forever though, because people get tired. Yeah. And so one of the things we're we're talking about at work is how do we make sure we, that we're cycling people so that sometimes we're putting them into a position where they're having to work very responsively and very very flexibly and very very quickly, mm. and then actually sometimes we we're just going look just go back to business as usual, take it a little bit easier. It's someone else's turn to do that because otherwise people burn out. And you know, I I think we are in for the for the long haul on this it's it's not something that's going to go away quickly no and you are someone who's energized by work and obviously responding to a crisis like this is it's probably been the, the forefront thing on your mind day in day out you've probably been thinking about it as you're going to sleep and as soon as you wake up do you do you think when things do calm down and it does really go back to business as usual that you might feel a bit down and bereft because that period is over yeah i think i think that's a possibility this is a really serious thing that's going on you know and um i'm lucky that it hasn't directly affected my family at the moment um but there'll be plenty of people that that it has directly affected and um you know there are there are people who are very ill and people who are dying i, I, th I think we need to keep that in mind whilst we feel energized by needing to react to this really serious thing when it's over then um yeah we need to be um thankful 
that it's over and think about how to transition mm. back into into our, our more ordinary business as usual type work um, but I definitely think that there'll be a bit of a bump as we go back into that mm. um, and we're going to have a very big hit to our economy um, from yeah. shutting it down that will mean that lots of people you know lose their jobs or their income is reduced we know that when those things happen we see rise in domestic violence we see um, more pressure on uh, on families and um, more negative impacts for for those families it, that that will still be happening already but it will continue mm. you know we may we may not have the same kind of national clapping or blue light type sort of um, fervor that we that we have at the moment and so we need to make sure that we keep the reserves up in order to be able to respond to that situation as well absolutely and it's really great to to hear that um, this region is in capable hands with you and your colleagues um, looking out for the the long term as well as the immediate response so thank you thank you we're, we're, we're doing our best <laughs> <laughs> Um, is there anything you're missing because of lockdown? Well, I mean, it sounds sounds trite in a way. I'm, I'm missing going out. <laughs> I am missing yes, going out. Me too. Yeah, there's a whole kind of set of stuff around gigs that I'm that I'm missing, um, and I'm missing pub lunches, seeing people in real life in a pub. Yeah, I know mm. what you mean. I mean, I have the torture of walking the dog every day past the pubs oh. and seeing them all closed. And the dog tries to go in and I keep saying <laughs> to him, it's, it's closed. We can't go in. I know it's devastating. He looks at me like I've just, you know, taken away some food or something. Bereft. But yeah. <laughs> um, it's super nice to chat to you, Tom. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's, it's nice to have a sort of pause for a bit of reflection when you're not, not quite in it. Life in Lockdown was presented, recorded and edited by Jasmine Allen in Ely. The intro and outro music is taken from a song entitled There Will Come a Day by Emma Cooper.